Welcome to the Vulnerable Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Almeida. Each week, we'll share inspiring stories and tips on facing vulnerability and the lessons we can use to help us be able to find success and fulfillment in our own lives. With each episode, we hope to impact one listener. And if anything you've heard has impacted you, we'd appreciate you sharing it on social. Thank you for listening. Now let's get vulnerable. Nathaniel Brandon said, The greater a child's terror and the earlier it is experienced, the harder it becomes to develop a strong and healthy sense of self. This is episode 74 of the Vulnerable Podcast with Mae Kessler. Both her parents were survivors of the Holocaust, but growing up she didn't exactly understand the pain and trauma her parents carried. Reflecting back, she carries a lot of guilt for some of the ways she acted and how she might have taken things for granted. At 12 years old, her mother would be diagnosed with breast cancer, and at that time it was something that wasn't as understood and people carried a lot of shame towards it. She would lose her mother around five years later, which brought a whole new set of challenges to her life. Throughout her late teens and early 20s, she endured multiple sexual assaults and would hold on to that pain and fear of judgment from others. The only thing she can attribute to helping her through it all is something she learned from her mother, grit. Now, as a physical therapist and dancer, she's helping people of all ages overcome their pain and find more joy in their lives. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get vulnerable with May Kessler. Hello, May. Thank you for coming on the Vulnerable Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here today. You're one of the many people that signed up through podcastguest.com. And so far, I've had a lot of amazing stories that people have shared, and I'm looking forward to yours being another one. So again, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Not a problem. So the first question I get started with is, what is your definition of vulnerability? Uh, allowing yourself to be open to, you know, without, without, oh, what's the word? Without defenses, without um, excuses, um, just letting people see who you are. Oh, and, and you know, it's, I, I say this all the time and, and I'm probably getting annoying to my listeners, but what I'm really glad about is that a lot of people have defined it in, in a similar way to you. It's, it's this whole thing of opening yourself up, knowing who you are and then letting the world see it, which is, I think, something really important, especially when it comes to this subject, because some people, I think, look at vulnerability as a negative thing or, you know, just more about sharing like all your hardships. But I like the fact that a lot of the guests that I've had on so far have said something similar to you where it's more about knowing who you are and then being open enough to share it with the world. So um, thank you for putting that out there. So Mm -hmm. looking back on your own life and go back as far as you want, I've had people talk about when they were five years old and I've had people start in like high school, again, wherever you're comfortable discussing, um, when would you say would be the first time you faced some sort of vulnerability in your own lifetime? I'm hesitating because I'm like, Oh my, I mean, you could talk before I was born. <laughs> um, I, I think perhaps, you know, the reason I'm saying that is because both my parents were Holocaust survivors. And they, I, I, I often feel really sad that I didn't appreciate how many, how how incredible it was what they went through and how miracle after miracle they survived. Um, not only survived, but they actually thrived in the sense that they 
they still did what their life dream was. Um, so when I say that, my, um, let's uh, start with my mother because, you know, one of the vulnerabilities and the, the most tragic, tragic events that, that, that happened in my life was that my mother, um, when I was um, 11, no, I was 13-ish. Oh, God, I'm like, when? <laughs> Somewhere around 12. Um, my mother got breast cancer. And um, five and a half years later, she died. And so my young teenage life was was completely colored and um, altered by that. And um, I'm going to take that back again because she was a doctor. And, you know, um, she, um, she was in the second class of women allowed into Harvard Medical School. Oh, wow. Um, and she graduated in 1951. So take that farther back. Uh, she was uh, both my both my parents were from Poland, but they didn't meet until uh, they met in Boston. My dad um, survived the Holocaust, ended up in MIT, uh, made his way to MIT, and my mother um, also was in Poland. But they they both went out to far eastern Russia, and that's how a lot of Jews survived. Like two hundred thousand Jews from Poland survived by just traipsing out east. And I'm going that way on the map. Yeah. Um, east and um, so they survived just hand to mouth, you know, living in hide, living in hiding, uh, hiding and running. Um, eventually, I'm trying not to dwell too much on them, but but just you know, the miracle of how they and I'm not crying, that was my yeah, um, the miracle of how they got here, you know, just uh, my, my mother's my mother's uncle sent for her, he wanted to marry her off. she didn't want to do that. He finally understood. And then she found her way through babysitting to Simmons College. From Simmons College, got a job at a lab. The lab director ended up being a Harvard med school professor. And he um, wrote a recommendation for her to be in more seven into Harvard med school. And when you look at Ruth Bader Ginsburg and what happened with her, she was only like a couple years later. And she was something like one of 12 women allowed in or not, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, we have no idea how far we've come. So then, you know, my parents met, got married, and um, they had my brother first, and then they had me. And, like, my mother was a resident, and they had no money. Like, she still barely knew the language, and yet she was a pediatrician. And, um, you know, my father's chemical, and they just, like, worked their butts off to um they did just you know just almost seemed like night to day well that's a wonderful story but at the same time what happened to me and i'm just saying is like i was lucky enough to have wonderful caretakers and i know my parents loved us but at the same time they were obviously distracted on so many levels one they wanted to piece together their worlds uh you know their worlds have obviously been shattered and and then two they were just plain working you know yeah. And then the, all the trauma of what they'd been through was still there. They didn't have a minute to think about that. So um, I got just a really lovely lady. Um, and I know because I, when I think about how my brothers had maids um, to take, and nannies to take care of them, I know that my nanny was particularly loving and kind. And I think that, that helped me. Um, I, as I say, I mean, I never really think about that too much. Her name was Alice. So... <laughs> 
Um, all right, so that was, you know, and then life went on, and we did okay for a while until my mother, um, you know, then, then they were extremely busy. My parents had, well, we had, I have three brothers, and um, so they had, they had four children, on, you know, under the age of 10, <laughs> all at once, and um, things were moving along, though, uh, you know, they did, they, they were working, and everything was going to school and everything, and then my mother got cancer. And that, that just totally sucked. So, you know, as a young teenager, I turned into caretaker for my brothers as well as trying to help my mother as well. Um, and it completely shattered us. And I'd like to say, I mean, you know, you look at all the things that people do for, for families with cancer in the family now. You have hospice, you have social work, you have psychotherapy. There's no embarrassment about psychotherapy. There's all sorts of, um, you know, help in place, and there was none of that. The embarrassment um, and the fear about having um, cancer, they, a lot of people didn't even know that it wasn't um, contagious. And so my mother, being a family practitioner, she was a pediatrician, she didn't want us, we couldn't tell anybody. We couldn't tell anybody what was going on. So at 12 years old, I had to keep this huge secret that my mother was sick and going to die eventually. Um, my brothers too, my younger brothers weren't even told about it until three wow. days before she died. Wow. So the trauma of that was horrendous. And I, I, I jokingly sort of sarcastically say our family was a poster child for what not to do <laughs> when a family member has cancer. Yeah. Yes. Uh, in every respect, it was, it, it was devastating to us. And so, you know, fast forward now. So what happened now? Um, you know, I mean, it took us, uh, us, I mean, me and my brothers, it took us more than 10 years to kind of emotionally get back to a place where we could have a loving relationship with another person. Um, so none of us got married until well into our thirties. Um, none of us had children until we we're almost 40. So I, uh, unfortunately, and I mean, we all have kids now, but not that many because of that. And it really, it really altered our lives. And yet sort of that deep inside is still like, you know, I still have a relationship with my mother, even though I haven't seen her alive in the flesh for, it's like 48 years. Yeah. yeah. So um, and, and my brothers and I all talk about it. You know, just we, whenever we just have conversations, which we do thankfully keep in touch a lot. We, we zoom as a family now once a week. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately yeah. in the world, that's sort of the, how everybody has to communicate now. I know. And you know, and then the FaceTime and the talking and it, you know, it's just, and, and yes, Facebook, you know, we, we get to see each other's pictures and videos and so, you know, and we share a lot more than we thought we ever did. And, um, so it's nice that we, uh, we really are grateful that we still care about each other mm-hmm. and, um, are in contact. And that you can still reflect even back, you know, as much as is, like you said, it was over 40 years ago, you're still able to reflect back and discuss that. I think that's really important because I've had a couple of big losses in the last few years of my life, um, grandparents mm-hmm. that I was very close with, and I didn't talk about it for, for the, at least my first, the first loss, I didn't talk about it and tried to like hold it inside and not talk to anybody about it. And that it can be very uh, damaging, I would say, <laughs> is the word I would come yeah. to um, if you're not sort of letting people know how you're feeling or, or just even 
even even if in the reminiscing of the good times and stuff like that 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 helps more than i think we we know and we understand so uh, i want to step back for a minute if you don't mind and then you know mm-hmm. obviously i want to get into a lot more of that story and, and touch on a few things but i just want to step back for a minute because it seemed like you touched on something at the very beginning beginning you said that you know like obviously you know sort of the vulnerability started in your life before you were born talking about your parents and them surviving the holocaust and you said that very quickly i i think i heard you say that you didn't necessarily um appreciate it in the sense that maybe you didn't really understand how much they actually went through as a child and i just wanted to know like did that you know looking back and reflecting back on that did that have any um like did that cause any sort of vulnerability for you personally because of the fact that you didn't you maybe necessarily didn't i don't want to say take advantage but you didn't realize how good you had it in this sense like i i don't know i'm just trying to to sort of look at what you said there and just try and understand a little better like what it was that it made you feel when maybe you finally did realize how much they had been through but as a child obviously not it would have been a little harder to understand does that make sense yeah sure i mean there's a bunch of things i mean that's a whole thing about being a second third generation survivor is that we carry the guilt yeah uh so if if we if we didn't help our parents and then you know this is added guilt that wait a minute they get more excuses to you know to to not have to do everything that a parent does because look at what they went through you know look who they lost does that and uh, i i think i uh, let me just preface if it's okay to say my both my father my father wrote a book about his stories it's called shards of war that's uh, by michael kessler and he also edited my mother's book called grit um by regina kessler and they're both on amazon and i'm just saying that you know it's like it, they're they're self-published it's it's it, he just wants the stories out there yeah. that you know about what happened um so if anyone's interested um if anyone ever wants to talk to me about it i'm thrilled by the way my dad's still alive he's 96 oh, wow. and he's blind but he's um intellectually very much there and um so he's he's still you know he's still writing books he just <laughs> writing another book about the displaced persons camp that he was in after that and that relates a lot to what's going on with immigrants now because, you know, in a displaced persons camp, okay, you're safe. You get tuna fish every day, but you can't do anything. Yeah. You know, a 22-year-old young man who's itching to build his life back um, and just being stuck. He's no money, but he's being fed and clothed in a building. Yeah. That's it. So, it's but a when little I bit better, about, but not. <laughs> right. And that's what, you know, so they're like, well, so uh, he was fine. You know, when I was a kid, I was like, yeah, and, you know, I used to have nightmares about what, you know, the, he, he described being on a train. One of my recurrent nightmares is being on a train, rounding the corner and not knowing what's around the corner. I mean, that's just a recurrent nightmare. I'm on a train, round the corner, round the corner, round the corner, but you never see what's coming. Uh, hmm. I mean, like that. I mean, he had, um, he obviously had PTSD. Um, and, and so he would break into just, you know, yelling and screaming indiscriminately, just not really knowing, you know, the, the amount of, of yelling that he did for the event was never, um, never matched. There were all sorts of strange things going on and we would just kind of make fun of him for it. And now, I mean, that's where I feel like, geez, we had no compassionate kids at all. Yeah. You know, I mean, my mother would yell at him for wearing the same coat. Well, I mean, it's, it's, geez, 
he didn't, I mean, the, the refrigerator used to be completely stocked and we would all make fun of that. Because you didn't understand. Like, no. Of course we know why the refrigerator stocked. And then he would not throw out old clothes. I mean, it could make you cry. And I'm going to show you this right now. But you, oh, it won't matter because it's not on video. <laughs> but my daughter drew a picture. Of, uh, I uh, made a, she wrote a child's version of one of the most dramatic parts of his story. And um, he always talks about the little valise that his mother put together with their belongings for him and his sister as they left town to flee the Nazis, um, flee from the Nazis. And so she found this release that was maybe, um, I'll just say like two, three, two and a half feet. I'm going like this, yeah. just say like two and a half feet in diameter and width and length, whatever. Um, and so I gave it to my dad and I said, dad, was this anything like the valise that you had? And he's like, oh, I wish it was that big. They, they literally had just like less than a one shopping bag, a, less than a small shopping bag full of belongings that they wow. left home with. That's it. Yeah. You know? So when you think, why did he, why did he wear his coat until it was threadbare? Yeah. Why did he get, you know? And I, and I know that coat, I have a picture in here. I would show you, but the phones don't matter, but. I just found a whole bunch of old pictures from after the displaced persons camp and he was wearing that coat that we made fun of. And that was a coat that he got when he was in Paris waiting to come to the United States. And it must have had so much meaning for him that he was finally getting out of here yeah. and going, my God, going to the America. Yeah. And he had a scholarship to go to college. And so that was his coat. Yeah. And yet so we made fun of it. It was almost like to me, like what I'm what I'm taking from that is like the coat almost represented freedom for him. It was that thing that he got just before he was about to come to America, and so for him, it was like almost. I, I, I and as I'm thinking about it more, it's almost like a safety blanket. Like we all have these yeah. things. Like when you're a kid, you grow up with whether it is a blanket, a, an actual blanket, or maybe it's a toy or something that you go to bed with, and these things make you feel so secure as a child. And for him, it's that same sort of thing, but obviously a little bit older. But again, going through that sort of traumatic experience, I can understand why you might want something like that, or why you might I try and keep something like that, and. Yeah. The other thing that I, I sort of picked up from that and whether whether it's the whether I've got it right or not, I don't, I'm not sure. But it sounds like, you know, you talked about sort of the guilt that gets transferred as a, a second or third generation um, sur survivor or child of a survivor. But what it also sounds like to me is that some of the trauma that they experienced was almost transferred because you never experienced it, yet you were able to have this recurrent nightmare over and over again. That was the experience that he went through. Right. Right. So I don't, I, that's just, it was interesting to me in a sense, because I've just never, I guess in, in all the episodes that I've done, I've never had somebody be able to sort of explain something like that, where they had literally like the trauma that somebody else experienced that they experienced. And I've heard things of this on other podcasts where they've, they've shown now with science and stuff like that, that you can literally through genes transfer trauma. Um, so, you know, it can happen from two, three generations before you and you can still be affected by it. But for you to literally have that, you know, sort of with your parent and then it affects you in that way. It seems to me like that's uh, yeah, just, I've never, never had somebody say something like that. And it just sort of hit me because it's, it's mm -hmm. crazy that that can happen, that you can have such a literal almost transfer of, of that trauma. So I just wanted to sort of pick, pick up on that. 
Yeah. True. I was thinking about something else you were saying when you said that, but now I forgot what it was. No. <laughs> I, my, my... Uh, oh, I know. Wait, there was, um, wait, wait, wait. Shoot. I can't remember. Okay, never mind. We'll come back. <laughs> no, it's fine. It might have been when I was talking about sort of the coat being a safety blanket. I don't know when, when you had the thought. But either way, if you come back to it, just let me know. It's it's a podcast. Oh, I know. I know, know what I was going to say. <laughs> I know what I was going to say. The other thing about being a um, child of survivor, second more generation on from a survivor, is that you hear the story. You know it was devastating. And then, well, what happened for me is like, you know, my dad's told the story over and over and in a way he's, he's gotten a thick skin to it. So, um, he can now tell the story without like, you know, he, uh, in fact, when he was writing the book at age 85, he said he cried, but that's 60 years after it happened. Yeah. So he had this thick skin all along so that he could live his life. I mean, that's a we do with grief and sadness is that we just kind of like, well, either put it to the side or just about what we feel like. I'm just not going to talk about. I'm not going to look at that right now. Um, and, and so when he got to retire, that's when the flood gets opened for him in terms of feeling what he really had lost. But um, I just, I, another event that I remember very clearly is like going to the Holocaust in Yad Vashem in, in Israel. And there was a new exhibit of children that were lost. And I walked through it, and I, my, I was just completely soaked in tears, um, just uncomfortable. I, I wasn't even aware that I was crying. It was so moving and devastating to me. To, to basically, they had people just say the names of the children that had died, and you're walking through this dark, starry um, building um, exhibit. It was, it was on, and you just heard their names echoing through as you walk through this star filled darkness it, it devastated me and i came out of the museum and my dad was there and he's like why are you crying and i said that didn't affect you and he's like well yeah it was sad it didn't you know i feel like because we didn't have that we don't have things going on you said that we're even more vulnerable to um feeling the pain of something witnessing yeah you didn't experience it in the same way that he did and he like you said he spent all those years sort of i guess suppressing it in a sense with his work and with everything else that he like you said he grew that thick skin whereas you're you didn't have that um you you were sort of experiencing it for the first time and and that was quite overwhelming it sounds like so i can see yeah. how there might be a difference in your sort of experience of it and his experience of it um okay so the other thing i i want to say you you might hear me talking more about my father first of all um my mother's story um she did go to a soviet work camp but she was with her immediate family except for her sister the whole time. Um, they did lose touch with their father. Uh, that's a whole other story, but basically the whole family stayed alive. Um, my father's story was more devastating to him because he lost his entire family, all his extended family. They were murdered by the Nazis into you know an open pit um, outside the town that they lived in. 
Um, so only him and his sister survived. So when you hear me talk about my dad more in any of this, it's because it, it did affect him more psycho. I, I, I don't know more. I mean, you know, whether you can say more or not, everyone's story is devastating, yeah. but there was, there was more loss, more immediate loss of his immediate family. Um, so that's why you're hearing me talk more about his side of the devastation and PTSD than my mother's. I mean, either way, they're both um, they're both stories that definitely need to be told and 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 definitely have their own. Whether, like you said, whether it's more or less, I don't think is really the the the, the uh, case here. I think it's just a matter of that they you know these are both two people who went through something more traumatic than I think any of us could imagine, especially in this day and age. And I'm sure there's examples that are close or whatever but you know to to you know go through what they went through at that point in time and then like you said at the beginning to then you know make their way to the u.s and still have you know build these incredible careers and build a family and everything like that to me right there i mean we could have that story on here and that would be you know enough to sort of show what i'm trying to to talk about here with the, the podcast in terms of going through some extreme vulnerabilities which those definitely yeah. were and then finding a way to sort of build yourself up even after that and you know i'm sure you know i've i've read victor frankel's book and i've heard other people that you know were holocaust survivors talk about their experience and the one thing i've seen when the people that did survive for the most part it seems like they 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 built such a resilience um, in their minds and, and everything like that during that time that it allowed them to sort of move on to bigger things later on because of the fact that they had already experienced such you know enormous amounts of trauma early on in their life so but I want to mm-hmm. move on if, if that's okay to you know yes. so when you talked about um, you know with your mom you know uh, you know how how did you sort of get through that time because I'm imagining, you know, I have a daughter, my wife and I just um, brought our daughter into the world five months ago. So I'm looking at, you know, her and thank you. And I'm looking at her and the relationship that she has with her mom. And obviously, you know, a mother and daughter relationship is something that uh, a father and daughter can't understand because there's a lot of things that, you know, your mother obviously, you know, tries to help you with and, and teach you and so on and so forth. So going through that at such an early age, you know, like you said, around 12 years old, like what helped you sort of get through that time was it that caregiver that you talked about uh, briefly there or was there other things that you can think of and reflect on that that just helped you um get through that time in your life um no that the caregiver that i talked about i only had her till i was like four and a half oh, okay. but i just i just look at how like my beginnings and i just feel like that one lady that has no idea how much she helped me and helped my mom because she just couldn't do everything you know she's in the midst of having close to having you know by that time she had three children under the age of five i mean it's so ridiculous being a doctor trying to set up her practice but how did it, um, my mother contracting uh you know having cancer how did that affect me i mean there was no good way there there really was it was not good and i say what was not good is i probably um at first i became anorexic because I actually, that was obviously at the time that I was starting to develop and um, my mother had a radical, radical mastectomy. Um, it was horrific. That's another thing. Again, the poster child, poster family, poster woman for what not to do. Um, and, and that was completely devastating and wrong. Um, so, um, um, you know, so my, I, I just, in my 12-year-old mind said the reason that that happened is because she's too fat. 
Oh, my mother was a bit overweight, but not that bad. But I just decided, uh, whatever, I decided to stop eating. And I was, um, I, I'm, I'm a dancer and I, I've always loved dance and I still dance at age 65. So that kind of coupled with the um, other female presence in my life was my ballet teacher. And she, of course, admired slimness. And so um, that I just did that. So for a few years, I was anorexic, and that's how I dealt with it. And I just kind of holed up and didn't talk to anybody, and it was very, very difficult. Um, as time went on, then my mother, you know, there were obviously over five and a half years, a person isn't, like, deathly ill the whole time. There's times when they're better and times when they're worse and times when they're in a hospital and times when they're home. So as the hospital visits got more frequent, then my dad and mom asked me to stay home to watch my two younger brothers, which meant I couldn't go to dance class as much. And so I just basically sat in the kitchen and ate. So I went the other way and I started binge eating and I gained a lot of weight. And by the time my mother had passed away, I was like 30 pounds overweight. Um, none of it was good. <laughs> There was no, I mean, it's like, no, this is not the way to deal with it. Um, I went off to college and I actually, and actually I went to Israel right after my mother died. And, you know, basically that was a geographical type of cure, but at the same time it was like, there's something to be said for geographical cures. <laughs> I lived in Israel for two months with a whole bunch of teenagers. Um, I lost 25 pounds just because we ate you know, fresh food on the, out in the field, picking pears. Um, it was, it was such a needed break. Um, you know, there's just no way around the devastation of what happened. Um, guy came home, went off to college. And again, it's like, I could pretend as if nothing happened because everyone was away from their parents at that point. You know, freshmen in college can't wait to get away from home. And though that isn't how I felt. I, you know, I was away from home, and I actually had a lovely time in college. You know, it was the first time there were co-ed dorms, and we all celebrated that to the nines and had, a, you know, a lot of camaraderie and almost like had a family of, of fellow students around me. And um, it, that, that helped. As time went on, that I, you know, like, it all started to fall apart probably by the time I was like a sophomore, junior, junior. Then, the, then all that pretend of that she's going to come back soon, you know, somewhere in your mind, you just think it's just for the moment, but eventually it's like you can't keep it up anymore. And so then I, I, I really uh, finally got into some therapy. I don't know. I mean, it's just like therapy and then not therapy and therapy and just trying to pick yourself back up and not therapy. And then, you know, eventually... I almost need constant counseling. So I, I can't say that, that that was any good way. <laughs> oh, and, and I mean, I don't, yeah. yeah. I, the one I'm, thing I, I've, I've realized, like, in going through some grief myself and even talking to other people on the podcast about grief, is there's really no good or bad way to do it. Unfortunately, we, we all sort of do it in our own way. And, and I don't think, like I said, it can be defined good or bad. What it sounds like to me is that you use distraction a lot. Um, it sounds to me like, you know, whether it was, you know, like you said, taking care of your siblings, uh, going on that travel to Israel, 
uh, school and then sort of meeting a family there. Um, it, it seems like distraction was your way of sort of getting through it at that time. And, and I can completely relate because I, I did a lot of the same, like not a lot of the same things, but I did a lot in the same way of, uh, you know, distracting myself. I, you know, I, after I lost one of my grandparents, I tried starting a business. I tried doing uh, 20 other things to try and distract myself from feeling what was actually going on. But what I'm glad about is that it sounds like at some point you finally said, okay, enough is enough. And that's when you sort of enter therapy to sort of start dealing with things. Would that be a, a sort of summarization, would you say, of, of what, what you sort of went through there? Yeah, the problem, I mean, I'm not mentioning something that really should be mentioned, which is that I was raped um, in, in grad school. And that was not the first time I was raped, but uh, it, you know, it's like I couldn't, couldn't contain it. Uh, I, def I, I needed major help after that. Um, I guess I kind of don't want to go into too much, you know, it's like yeah, and that's fine. too much to go into, but yes, um, sexual abuse was, uh, happened several times in my life. And so the last time it was a break in and that was different than the other ones was, I'm just saying that because it was like, um, I had to tell the police, I had to tell the family, whereas before I just didn't. Um, there's all the reasons, you know, you just, you don't, we didn't want to, I mean, I'm talking about like 40 years ago, women, if you said that that happened to you, you were looked at, what did you do wrong? What did you do wrong? Yeah. That was the response. That was the first question. Yeah. What did you do wrong? What were you wearing? And even though now I just sit there and I wish I could have told people, I completely understand why I didn't. And, um, but the last time it happened was clearly a break in and the police were involved immediately. So there was no hiding it. And I did not feel the need to hide it because it was so obviously a break in. But still the first question out of people's mouths is how did that happen? And not in the sense of questioning, but almost like, there must have been a reason that that happened. Yeah. I feel like even though 40 years have gone by, that's still sort of the case nowadays. I wouldn't say that it's maybe as bad, but I would say that no. there's still a lot of that sort of, um, I guess, projection put onto the situation of, you know, the fact that, you know, was it the, what the person was wearing? Did they do something to bring it onto themselves, whatever the case might be? Because even when I've heard of things like that happening at colleges and universities nowadays, it's still that same thing of where it's almost trying to place the blame on the, the woman that she did. She must have done something, even though I don't think that that was probably ever the case. Um, and again, you know, not that I've experienced it or, or know anybody really close to me that's experienced it, but I still see that sort of stigma around it even nowadays even 40 years later so i don't think that it's necessarily just something that you know has gone away unfortunately but um, no it hasn't so I, I, this might seem like an odd question to lead to next but i, I want to see if we can pull something away from this wait Would actually you... i just want to um just finish yeah. kind of finish all that so so when the the last one happened and i i just i said this is it i need i absolutely need help then it became family therapy, um, you know, one of, you know, with all the, the whole family. And that's, that's when my brothers actually have told me, like, you, you're the one who finally got us to start healing. Because 
we were not, we were just like islands. Nobody was talking to each other. We saw each other, but we didn't talk about how we were feeling. We didn't talk about the devastation of the whole of our mother's loss, you know, loss of our mother. And that my father was like, he was, he had all his problems too. And then he was left with four kids and no money because 20% of the 80 of the medical bills of like $2 million of 20, 20% of $2 million is more money than he had. So I'm just saying like he was a mess. Our whole family was a mess. And what finally got us to a place of healing was that I, I had to have family therapy. And, and um, that just kind of started the ball rolling in a different direction. Well, I'm so, glad that, back to what you're saying. No, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to sort of bring that upon your family because it sounds like, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more, but it sounds like you were able to sort of help not just yourself, but others as well, which is, I think, awesome because, you know, I think a lot of people would just go through what you went through and, and most likely just keep it to themselves for many years. And, and maybe if they did even end up going to therapy, it would probably just be by themselves. But I'm glad that you were able to sort of recognize that you weren't the only one that was maybe hurting. Uh, and in, although it might be in different ways, you were able to recognize that, hey, I think we all need this, not just myself. And and I'm sure that's also part of what's brought you guys closer, like you talked about earlier on, where you speak a lot and you're able to sort of even talk about what's happened in the past. I don't know that everybody can do that because they maybe haven't gone through, you know, therapy or, or found a way to sort of, you know, converse about that sort of stuff or, or bring it up in a way that it doesn't make it uh, make people fall apart or make it sort of re-traumatizing or however you want to look at it. So I think it's awesome that you were able to do that. The question I was going to ask that I said, you know, it might seem odd, but I want to see if we can pull something is that, you know, would you say that there was any strengths you discovered in yourself going through all this, the loss of your mother, having to become the caregiver, um, the, the, the sexual assaults, like, was, was there any strength that you were able to discover in yourself after, you know, going through all this, reflecting back, would there be anything that you were able to sort of learn from this? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I wish I, I wish I could redo it also that, and not that it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, any strengths? I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know what I, would I be as, um, determined and maybe that's, you know, just the title of my mother's book, Grit. When you think about what got her through, like you said before, was that she wanted to be a doctor. And she just kept that in her mind the whole time. Even in Russia, she was a medic. She, she just kept doing whatever she had to do to be a doctor. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I wanted to survive. And I'm just lost in this whole murky, drowning mess of what happened in my uh, young, uh, my teenage to young adulthood. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I, I don't really have that. I learned anything from it. I learned about myself that I'll just keep plodding along. That's all. I, I, mean, I, I can't say I wanted to all the time. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. 
I can, I can, you know, the, the word that was coming to my mind, and I think grit is is a great answer because the word that was coming to my mind was resilience, and it's something that I've seen over and over again on this podcast. No matter whether the situation was similar to yours or different, what I've noticed is that people, the the one thing that people can learn from sort of these vulnerabilities going through these tough times is how resilient they are, or mm-hmm. or you know, like you said, grit is how much grit they have because. Again, like I said a few minutes ago, you know, mo- I, I think a lot of people that would go through as much as you've been through, especially in what seems like a very short period of time. I mean, we're talking, like you said, from about 12 years old when your mother was diagnosed with cancer to losing her to all the other things uh, up until your early 20s. I think a lot of people would, you know, shut down and, and maybe never, you know, sort of move on from that and never be able determined enough, like you said, to, to go further. But it seems like you sort of, you know, maybe it wasn't right away, obviously, but it seems like after, you know, through the therapy and, and then through maybe your own personal reflections that you were able to sort of, like you said, find that determination to keep going, to keep pushing and, and get to where you wanted to go, similar to the way that, that your mother did all those years ago. Yeah. I just, you know, obviously just sitting here talking about it, I go, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who listens to this will go like, holy, like, how is he still having a life, you know? And I don't think about it that way at all, except like I said, I was plodding along. But you want to know like where I am now is I'm sitting in my house, I'll just say Maryland, and I I have a nice house and um, we have a peaceful existence except for tomorrow, <laughs> which is election day. Yeah, we won't get into yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to get into that. But I'm married. Um, I have a beautiful daughter who's 22 um, and a loving husband. And he's a good man. I was loving the pieces. And, you know, it's like, wow, everything's okay. And I swear, it's like I just sit here and I just go, my whole character has changed because everything's been okay. I mean, any devast- anything that bad that happens now is kind of like poof, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I mean, there's been other things, that, bad things that have happened, but um, I, don't, I don't need to go into them so much, but. There's been a lot of other challenges, of course. I mean, my business failed. I had to lost a lot of money. I had to rebuild it. I obviously, I mean, I had my daughter when I was much older, and that was such a a challenge. But we got obviously we we have her, mm-hmm. um, and and that was was is wonderful. So it's, it's like part of me. I was like, I know that was my past, but my present is just a completely different place. No, and, and I'm glad that you can see like you like, you know, that that where you're at now is is where you want to be and that like you said, you're you have this sort of peaceful existence. And again, for you to come from where you where you were and get to that, I think is incredible. But I, I think that what we just talked about a couple of minutes ago is is why, you know, like that that grit I think is what even like you're saying, you know, having a child later on in life 
um, you know, I, my wife and I aren't young. I mean, we're 30, we're both 34 and, you know, we just had our first child and that even nowadays has its complications, even in your, you know, mid thirties, it can be difficult. And, and I've had family members that had children in their forties and I, you know, again, don't know exactly what they went through, but I know it wasn't the easiest thing in the world, but it seems to me that, you know, you, like you said before with your mom and having in her mind of wanting to become a doctor and that push her forward, I'm sure that in your mind, it was, I want to have a family whether it's one child or, or more or whatever you you had that in your head that I want to have a family and so that is what pushed you whether you know it, it, it however long it took you you sort of made it happen you had that again that determination that we spoke about to, to make these things happen and get to sort of the life that you wanted and live the lifestyle that you wanted yeah I mean I, I we did we did need um fertility treatment and as anyone who's battling that must know the waiting is the hardest part <laughs> yeah um but you know and you can easily i've i've talked to many and read about many different families that i mean couples that wanted children and just you know at the point they said we just couldn't wait anymore we couldn't go through that anymore and well you know it took us two and a half years so um you know every month was another another round yeah trying and that that was super hard that was super hard i can i can actually relate with that because my wife and i actually had to go through fertility treatments as well so i can completely relate with the waiting and the unknowns and the you know even after my wife you know after we did find out she was pregnant it was still for the first you know two or three months after we found out that you're still in this really weird space of like you want to celebrate you want to be happy but you're still concerned and you know i i know once it finally got you know much closer that we were able to relax but within those first few months i can relate in terms of just sort of the the anxiety I guess you would say that you feel because you're just like you just don't know and and obviously these these sort of pregnancies are a little more complicated I would say I guess is the best way to put it than you know sort of a natural uh, conception so um, I can completely relate and I'm glad that you brought that up just because it it gives me something to relate to and and I'm sure that there's other people that listen to this that can relate as well um, going through it's unfortunately I think a little too common nowadays um, from what I'm hearing and and, you know I because when when it happened to us there I'm one of those people that I wanted to like learn and and know and and the more I sort of learned about it it seems like it's something that's just too all too common nowadays which is unfortunate but again I'm glad that you know like I said my daughter's here I'm glad that you were able to bring somebody bring your daughter into the world because I know the sort of joy and, and everything that that brings to you um, being a you know a new parent myself and and like I said I'm sure you can you can relate with that as well even though your daughter's a lot older now <laughs> I'm sure yeah. you, can, you can remember you know those first few months and days and stuff like that so um, yeah, yeah and sometimes yeah. I mean I want to say like people like oh you did it that way huh you know and then you just go like if anybody has as wants to talk about the you know the different ways I'm I'm kind of happy to share about it it's in too much detail now but it it was a love in the end it was a lovely experience and it you know no matter I, I always thought there was a moment where I just said okay we are gonna have a child. I don't know how this child's going to come to us, whether it's through this direction, that direction, that direction, or whatever. Any any way this child comes into our life, I'm okay with. Um, that's chi- and because I kind of realize that my nephew is adopted, and 
my brother and sister-in-law went through trying to have a child in any way they could. It took them nine years. But I was there when they found out that Aaron was going to be in their, was going to be in our family. It was He was going to be adopted and that he was born. And I'm, I, I just, that was the most amazing blessed moment. And, you know, I'm try, I, I like not to think about religion as God, but, it just felt like the light was shining down on all of us when, when that happened. And I just want to say that cause it's like people are like, Oh, I want my, you know, I want it this way. I want it to come that way. Mm -hmm. I only want it this way. Just like the child comes into your life. It's a miracle no matter what way. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the thing that came to mind as you were saying that, and I think is, and I've said this, you know, there's things that I'm going to repeat on multiple episodes and, and if people don't like it too bad, so sad, <laughs> but um, the thing that I think that, that, that came to my mind is, and that's come up over and over again is perspective. And I think that that's a great example of it there. What you just said is that, you know, sure you can look at it like, you know, yeah, I'd rather have a child that's, that's a, you know, a part of me in a sense, I guess is the way you'd put it. Um, or, you know, I don't want to adopt. I don't want to do this. And I, but I think the perspective is the key. Like you said, the perspective of, you know, you have a child now, you have somebody that is still going to be brought up by you and is going to sort of, I don't want to say complete your family, but in a sense, that's what it is. You know, having a child yeah. sort of makes a family feel like complete. And so I think, like you said, that, that having the perspective, whether it's adopted, whether it's, uh, you know, IVF or some other sort of fertility treatment or whether it's, you know, a right. natural birth, whatever it is, it, the perspective is at the end of the day is the same as, you know, just to have that joy of, of starting a family and having a child. I think that's sort of the perspective that should be taken on and not this judgment of, Oh, you had to do it this way and you had to do it that way. But I think a lot of that comes from, if you haven't experienced it, you don't understand it. And I think that's where a lot of judgments come. I mean, I've heard this sort of the saying over and over again, that our judgments are not necessarily what we think of other people. They're things that we're judging ourselves for that we're just projecting to others. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but again, it's just something that I'm pulling out of what, what you said there. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you know, just to, to you know, be more specific, you know, a lot of went, uh, a lot of people go, like, oh, it's a donor egg, oh, it's a donor sperm. Well, you know, you just use that. That's then that part. Oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's a child, you know. Yeah. It, it's a child. It, it yeah. created a child. Doesn't and it. it All that other stuff shouldn't it, matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. No, it, I agree. Telling you, it doesn't matter. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I, I, what, my next question was going to be something to the sort of how everything that you've been through helps you get to where you are, but it, you sort of covered that already. So yeah. I, I want to just sort of, would you say at this point, you know, like you, 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 sort of glazed over it and you know i think we'll probably have you on again because i think there's other areas that we can touch on um in terms of like entrepreneurship and stuff like that and and yes, moving forward i'm so. going to be moving forward i'm going to be doing sort of like a week where we do a theme of like entrepreneurship and a theme of trauma and a theme of whatever so i think we'll have you back on because i want to respect your time today uh, and so you. i want to yeah. get to the last few questions here but would you say at this point in your life that you found success and fulfillment in your life? Or would you say that you're still on a journey towards that? Well, I definitely have to say both, Brian, because, okay. um, you know, people look at my website and they go, Oh my God, you've done so many things professionally. I've done a lot of things. And that I get so mad when I am not invited to be a speaker at some of these major conferences. Cause I'm like, yo, I can talk about that. <laughs> 
And then, you know, I dance. I'm 65. I still dance every day and I still perform. If you want to hear me, uh, if you want to see a performance, and we created November 15th as a free uh, showing of it. Um, I'd love to have any anybody who wants to be on it. You just, just contact me. I'll give you the link. So it was a project called the Wisdom Project for dancers over 40. Some amazing dancers in it, myself not included. i'm so thrilled to be part of that i just keep looking for places to share my art um i've created a video about dance and physical therapy dance in the body i'm doing a lot of research on fascia doing some amazing stuff like that's very exciting and yet i just keep going yo i should be doing more (laughs) you know my dad just talked to me god bless him he said you know he finally he finally said to me you know may you should have a PhD. <laughs> what you know about and the way you talk to people, you should have a PhD and be, and then that's your ticket to have people really listen to you. And I'm like, well, uh, I'm 65, Dad. He goes, so what? Oh, okay. So that, so you know, career is is yes and no. I still want more, and I I, I love I love doing it. Um, family, uh, I'm just in love with my family. Um, I definitely have have the family I love. Um, and, you know, is there more with that? Well, yeah, I mean, we all love, want to be together more. But, uh, no, the family's good. Um, yeah. Um, there's people, extended family, I wish I could talk to more in that. But that's a whole other story. Yeah. So, it sounds, yeah. yeah. It sounds to me that, yeah, like you said, it's it's a little bit, it's like a yes and answer. Yeah, you found success and you definitely have fulfillment in your life. It sounds like with your family and, and the things that you do with your life and, and everything, but you know that there's still, there's still more and there's still a journey that you're going to continue to to go on um, with everything that you've got going on and things that you still want to explore, which honestly to me is, is, is amazing that, you know, like you said, you're 65 and, and that you have sort of this fire and this this wanting uh, determination we could even say going back to what we talked about before to, to continue to push forward and and push for more I think that's amazing and something that you know more of us should think about you know because I, I think a lot of people maybe hit like 40 years old and go okay well I'm 40 now so whatever life is going to be this is it like I'm just going to work for another 20 years or 25 years and then retire and then maybe I'll enjoy life whereas you're sort of saying hey you know what I've been through it I've succeeded I've failed I've done all this but I'm still going to keep pushing, even though I'm 65, it doesn't matter. That's just an age. Age is nothing. Yeah. Right. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm a, you probably don't, I haven't mentioned it all, but I'm a physical therapist and I have people come in here and I just want to, excuse me, uh, say something, which is like, you know, they're 40 years old and they go, I guess I'm getting too old now. <laughs> and I go, do you realize that in your thirties, you were actually at your peak physical abilities in your thirties, thirties to forties. So what are you talking about? No, you're not over the hill yet. And the other thing is dancing as long as I have. I realize that all the ideas we had about that we should, you know, that we get more limited as we get older are not necessarily true. There's some parts of it that, yeah, you have to be more careful. It takes a little longer to recover from things. But I remember being as sore from dancing as 25 as I am at 65. It's not much different. <laughs> I guess and you keep it up. You keep it up. Yeah. yeah. So, so physical, isn't yeah, anyway, go ahead. 
no, no. I was just so if we can look at your your you know sort of your entire story here, and like I said, I, I think we're definitely gonna have to have you back on because I think there's more to share. But if we can look at everything that you shared today, I mean, there's tons of little lessons I think we can pull from it. As you know, as much as it may have been difficult to sort of reflect back and think, I mean, you still came up with that idea of determination and grit and everything like that. But if you can reflect for a minute back and go and think about if there's three important lessons that you've learned over your life, three things that you would tell somebody that is maybe going through something in their own life right now, or is stuck in their own life that you might be able to help them. What would you say your three important lessons would be? I think the, the first one that I learned that helped me get out of the whole mess of eating disorder and post-traumatic stress was that I am not alone. And I am not terminally, as I call it, terminally unique. Meaning if, there's, if I had an experience that I need help with, there is someone else out there who has had that experience and found their way through it. So all you got to do is put out your hand and say, I need help. And you, can, you'll, you will find people to help you. And don't give up that, you, you know, not on the first try, not on the second try, whatever, but you keep trying because especially, honestly, with the internet, you are going <laughs> to find people who have a group that is supportive for the issue that you're having. You will. And... And the other thing is with all the trauma that's happened, I have also found there's still, of course, parts of me that doesn't trust. I don't trust. I don't want to open up to people. I don't want to share. I don't want to believe that 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 that's something that they have to teach me that they say is going to help me. I don't believe it's going to help me. And so I shut my doors right away. Well, that doesn't help me. You look at it, you know, look at it first, but then, you know, there are many, there are people that are, that are willing to help take a look at them they they're people that can help that's my biggest thing and then, i don't know anything else don't i mean that's it it's don't oh love love <sighs> you know losing someone doesn't mean that you lose love um and and you could say i've made that up psychologically but i feel my mother's presence every day there's an aunt i don't talk to i still think about her every day um, because they gave me love. My dad, as difficult as his life with him is sometimes was, and as traumatic as everything was, uh, he's still here, but the bottom line is that you still feel the love. And, and when you feel like you have the presence or the, remem- the memory of someone or something, something that happened that you felt loved and cared for, Hold on to that because that's real and that feeds you and that sustains you. Yeah. Uh, I, I really, uh, I really appreciate that last one. Cause I, I, I definitely agree in terms of like love and, and what it can do for us if we actually experience it fully and then don't just sort of take it as this word that gets thrown around, unfortunately all too often. And I think yeah. there's many definitions for it, but the way that you put it, I, I think is, is very important is that when you have that love, whether it's from, uh, a family member, a significant other, a friend, or all of the above. Uh, I think it's definitely the thing that can that makes a big difference. The other thing I wanted to touch on is your second one there. When you said sort of like, you know, about trusting and, and stuff like that, it brings to mind for me, like people have talked about building up walls. 
right? And I've always thought about, you know, if you build up a wall, you know, the worst thing you can do is kick it down and like knock it down and just imagine and, and like think that it wasn't there or forget about it. It's more about like taking it down brick by brick. And in your example, it sounds more like instead of, you know, kicking the door down and letting everybody in, you sort of open it up a little bit, just like if somebody was ringing on your front door, you know, you right. open it up a little bit, you see who they are, you maybe talk to them a little bit. And then if you feel like you can trust them, then you might start to open it a bit more. And then if you feel like you can trust them more, you open it up fully. And then if you feel like you can really, really trust them, then you let them in. And so that's mm -hmm. sort of the analogy that I take from your second one. And I think that's really important for people to also think about because, you know, it's not about always letting everybody in. I'm glad that, you know, you were decided to come on here today and trust me enough to, to open up. I mean, that's huge for me considering what you just said. So thank yeah. you for that. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to sort of pull those two uh, uh, and bring them up a little bit more. The last thing that I want to do here is you've taken the time, you know, we've been on here about an hour now. You've taken the time to come on to share. Like I said, I definitely want to have you on again. But if you want Thank to just you. take a couple minutes here at the end to just promote yourself, talk about whatever you've got going on, um, whatever's coming up and, and any links that you want to share, definitely send them over. I'll put them in the show notes. But this is just the sort of a, a at the end here, a minute for you to just sort of promote yourself. So the floor is yours. Go ahead. Oh, thank you. Uh, geez, I wasn't really prepared for that. So, um, well, um, I think just since we started talking about my parents, yes, um, my parents' books are online on Amazon.com. Um, Shards of War by Michael Kessler and Grit by Dr. Regina Kessler. Um, I have a website, uh, maykessler.com. That's for my physical therapy work, but in there I have a dance page where I have a lot of my dance videos. I'm on YouTube, um, also May Kessler, and it's with one S, by the way, M-A-Y-K-E-S-L-E-R. I'm also on Vimeo, so I have some of my uh, dance videos there, including the one about fascia and movement. Um, and... I'm trying to think, is there anything else I'm really like coming up? Uh, oh, yeah, the November 15th date is just you know, a free thing. Oh, I teach a class every Tuesday night, 7.30 to 8.30 on Zoom. Uh, open to all, pay what you can, $10 Venmo thing. Um, that's just a fascial, I call it fascial fitness and flexibility. But I, tell, you know, I talk about um, a lot of the things I learned about anatomy and um, alignment and how that all feeds into how we are moving in the world. Um, so I use a, a varied, varied approaches to movement in that. I think that's probably enough for now. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you had a few things to bring up. I'll definitely listen back to this and make sure I link up as much of that as I can in the show notes so that people can find you, whether it's on YouTube, your website, or whatever. And like I said, if you have any links that you want to share, send them over and I'll make sure to put them in there. Um, okay, lastly, yeah, lastly, May, like I said, uh, you know, especially hearing that sort of that, that second lesson there and knowing that, you know, sort of it takes quite a bit for you to trust people and, and to sort of share and everything. I am very, very humbled that you decided to come on and do that today. Like I said, your story to me, whether it's the story of your parents or your story or all of it put together, I think is one incredible story of just really showing what we're capable of no matter what we go through. So I thank you for that. Like I said, definitely, definitely, definitely going to keep in touch and, and have you on again when, when I uh, start to, like I said, come up with those themes and everything. But 
thank you for sure. coming on today. Thank you for, well, thank for you rescheduling because I know we did have some <laughs> scheduling issues the first time. Because yeah. I, I'm just I didn't want to mess with this. <laughs> no, I'm and I'm I'm glad you didn't because, like I said, this was a, a really really great one. So again, thank you for the time and thank you for coming on today. All right, thanks again, Brian. I look forward to hearing from you more. Take care. Take care. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and follow the podcast on Instagram at vulnerable.podcast or on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can also follow me, Brian Almeida, by searching my name on all platforms. If the podcast has impacted you in any way, I would also greatly appreciate a review. Lastly, if you know anyone with a great story of going from struggle to success, I would love to have them on. Thank you and see you next week.